Welcome, fans of the Justice League universe. My name is Sam. In this podcast, we analyze the DC films from Warner Brothers Studios that are part of the ever-expanding Justice League universe. This universe will burst back on the big screen next week with Justice League, directed by Zack Snyder. And we have some content in store for that movie. I just posted a video on my YouTube channel and a post on my blog, comicandscreen.blogspot.com, where I try to help inform the general audience as they head into Justice League, so I give a recap of everything they need to know from Batman v Superman. So if you have some friends or family who need a bit of easily digestible BVS prep before Justice League, you can refer them to that video or blog post. I'll put a link in the show notes. And to prepare further, our full JLU podcast team will have a Justice League preparation episode coming out soon. But right now, we're analyzing Wonder Woman, directed by Patty Jenkins. In this episode, we're going to be covering scene 14, which is Diana scaling the tower. I'm going to present analysis co-written by myself with Alessandro, Rebecca, and Sydney. And we have some happy news amongst our team, by the way, because Alessandro recently welcomed into the world his baby daughter, Kara. So congratulations to him and his family, and I think we can all agree that Kara is a great name. I do want to say, however, that although Alessandro is adjusting to being a new dad, it's not actually his fault for our lack of episodes in October. Uh, it's not Rebecca or Sydney's fault either, even though they are very busy too. It's actually totally my fault. I had a very busy period at work, and then I took an international trip for work, which was great, but it also meant that I had several weeks of playing catch-up. And then putting that together with three kids at home, October just ended up kind of being swamped. And my late nights, which is when I usually write and record, they were packed with late work. Or if I wasn't working late, uh, it was just exhaustion after the kids were in bed and I would just be falling right asleep. So overall, October, that was my fault. Thank you for your patience. And hopefully you were carried through that period of time through our guest appearances on DC Cinematic Minute with Mark and Nathan. If you check out DCEU Minute last month, you can hear Rebecca, Alessandro, and myself talking about one of our favorite topics, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. And of course, Rebecca has also been rocking it on her Supergirl radio podcast, which is now several episodes into season three. So check that out too at Supergirl Radio. All right, so let's get back into Wonder Woman. To set up scene 14, we just saw in the last shot of scene 13 that Diana was inspired by Steve to finally do something and act upon the desires that she had had for a while. Ever since she was a girl, she had been yearning for an opportunity to not only fight like an Amazon, but to fight for the good of the world, like the Amazons of old used to do. The Amazons that she heard about in stories as a little girl. Now, with Steve Trevor's arrival, and his tales of war that he brought with him, not to mention the group of actual Germans that he brought with him, Diana has her opportunity to act, and to set forth as a hero who can save the world. So that brings us to this scene of Diana and the Tower. Patty Jenkins said in the art and making of the film book that in any great superhero story, there's, quote, the moment where you decide to answer the call, end quote. This right now is that moment for Diana. She is going to literally take that leap forward in her journey. And the weapons and costume that she grabs in this scene will become emblematic of her developing persona of Wonder Woman. It also represents a daughter stepping out beyond the advice and protection of her mother. And that stepping out is a big moment for anyone, not just a superhero. And that dynamic between her and her mother makes this a moment of no return. Once Diana scales the tower and grabs the sword that her mother expressly said Diana couldn't wield, she will have to press forward. There's no coming back. And this mother-daughter dynamic that's implied in the tower scene 
is also why it directly leads to the next scene where we see the emotional farewell and the explicit farewell between Diana and Hippolyta. But that's coming next. Right now, we start scene 14 with Diana walking forward in the night and then a very nice establishing shot. The tower is very prominent and its physical presence, and now its prominence here in this moment, is a payoff of the setups in scene two and four when we saw the tower. Themyscira was laid out and designed this way with the tower featuring very prominently in the city design to make this scene really work and for it to have extra meaning in the story. And by the way, we view the tower from a camera that is placed behind Diana, looking over her shoulder with the tower in center frame in the distance. So we're seeing it basically from Diana's point of view. And then we cut to a close-up on Diana as she exhales, so we get to see how she's feeling in this moment. So things like this are how Patty Jenkins maintained a clear point of view throughout the entire movie, with us seeing everything in the way that Diana sees it, and really staying right with her all the way through the ups and downs of the story. This is something that I think, objectively speaking, Patty Jenkins did better for the Wonder Woman movie than, for example, David Ayer did in the Suicide Squad movie, or at least the editing of the Suicide Squad movie. But anyway, Diana looks down at the depth of the crevice, and then we get a shot moving slightly behind the back of her head with her braided hair going straight down. And this framing, with the camera moving behind her head, it provides a subtle connection back to the dive scene from the cliff. These two scenes are linked in the sense that they are the two biggest leaps, figuratively and literally, that Diana has taken in her life. And so, to subconsciously make this connection for the audience, the filmmakers provide echoes of the prior shots from that cliff. And they also have her in the same training outfit as before. So this is an important step in her leaving that training outfit behind and moving on into the full Wonder Woman costume eventually. Seeing the tower, Diana then gets a look of determination on her face, and she jumps actually away from the tower, right up to a bull. The first several times I watched the movie, this part always threw me off a little bit, because she jumps away. She doesn't just run away from the tower, she jumps away from it. So I didn't think that she was just getting a lead distance for a running start. For that, I thought she would just jog away a bit and then run back to the edge where she had been. But instead of jogging back, she jumps away, and then she runs back. And I also thought it was a bit odd how she looks at the bull there in the middle for some reason. But I think after watching it more times and then having conversation with the team, I think maybe we have an explanation for this whole little moment. We think that she actually probably is just backing up a bit from the edge to get a running start. And the reason she jumps back rather than jogging back is not because she actually had to jump over a second gap, it's just because she was testing out her jumps. Having done a quick test of her jumping ability, she then is more confident to run all the way back and leap from where she had been before, right at the edge of the big crevice. And as for the bull, it not only continues the animal motif that has been going on throughout the Themyscira scenes, but Diana's relationship with animals, and gods as animals, is often a part of the comic books. So this might have been a quick acknowledgement of that, the comic book lore with the animals. Furthermore, the Greek gods often do take animal forms. In particular, Zeus has been known to turn into a bull. For example, he turns into a bull to abduct Europa. And Europa, by the way, is where Europe got its name. Like Diana, Europa also has divine ancestry. Poseidon is Europa's grandfather and Zeus her great-great-grandfather. And although the circumstances were very different in that Greek mythology story, 
The presence of the bull right at this moment in the movie, when Diana is disobeying her mother and leaping onto the tower, it could be a sign from the gods, a blessing on Diana's decision to travel to Europe with Steve. The fact that this bull is up and about in the middle of the night and not sleeping does also help the theory that this is a god in animal form watching Diana. The bull could also be used as just a symbol for passion, strength, and fulfillment. So, some nice connections with the bull. And with the bull looking on, Diana runs forward and leaps onto the side of the tower. She just barely grabs with one hand a protruding rock. And then she looks back and gets a big smile, obviously thrilled that she just did something she probably didn't even know before now that she could do. The smile also sets up the shift in emotion. Actors are taught before a shift to fear or sadness to go to a smile so that the audience will really get the contrast when you shift to the fear or the sadness. Diana has the smile now, and we get a shot looking down at her face as the rock crumbles and she shifts into those terrified screams. Luckily, no one heard her scream in the night, and her being on the far side of the tower probably helped. And as we established before, the novelization makes clear that there's only people stationed at the one main entrance, which is all the way on the front side of the tower. But as she falls, it is revealed to us and to Diana that she has even further powers. She not only has the leaping, but she also finds new strength and durability as she is able to actually punch right into the rock and catch herself. In addition to these powers, the leaping and the strength, we also saw in scene six that she has the new bracelet power. So gradually we're being introduced to the full scope of her powers, and we'll keep getting subtle new powers all the way until the end of the movie. It's like Antiope said, you are more powerful than you realize. And was it the bracelet blast earlier that actually spurred on the release of these new powers? We don't know for sure. It's possible that the bracelet blast did set this all off, but it's also possible that she had these powers all along and just needed to push herself to discover them. She needed to keep testing her limits. Which brings us to the fact that this scene, in some ways, parallels the flight scene in Man of Steel. Now, some people have compared the flight scene for Superman to the later No Man's Land scene for Wonder Woman. And that comparison does make sense, too, in terms of the emotional weight of those moments. And they both have swelling, iconic music, and they both have the reveal of the characters' costumes. But there's also a comparison to be made between the tower scene here and the flight scene. Diana here is testing her own strength and pushing herself tapping into her powers voluntarily for the first time, all while still not knowing her limits, but needing to push herself further for the sake of humanity. She even has a huge grin when she reaches the ledge, like Kal-El did when he first leaped. And then she falls, like he did when gravity got the better of him. But then, like Kal-El, Diana pushes herself even further and surpasses what she thought she could do. So there are several parallels there, Although a difference is that in Man of Steel, Superman is finally doing what his biological father had hoped he would do, whereas for Diana, she is actually going against her mother's wishes. Anyway, with Diana going up the tower, the way that they did these effects with her punching the wall were really great and memorable, and the sound effects were good too. In this sequence, most people tend to focus on her hand strength in punching the rocks, but notice also that she manages to pull up her entire body weight with just one arm. So it's not just durable hands, but it's really great strength overall. And it's just more of that idea that she is gradually discovering more and more of her powers. 
They cap it off with the moment in the window when she crushes her handprint into the window sill, uh, reminiscent of a younger Clark Kent bending the metal fence post in Man of Steel. This connection was actually first noticed by our listener, Omesh Singh, on Twitter. He said, quote, When Diana reaches the top, her hand deforms the metal frame. This reminded me of Man of Steel when Teen Clark is being bullied, and he grabs a hold of and deforms the metal fence post. Clark's action was one of holding himself back. Diana's moment is one of driving forth, as she discovers that Antiope was right. You're stronger than you believe. You have greater powers than you know. Thanks, Omesh. And now we go inside the tower, and we see the lasso, the golden perfect, as it's sometimes called in the comics, is framed beautifully in a golden curve. And these interior designs, with the yellow gold and the feminine curves, are meant to contrast with the exterior of the tower, being rough stone and all straight, harsh edges. She grabs the lasso, and then quickly a shield, and these are quick cuts, but then we see her jump down to the godkiller sword, and the editing slows down to really take this moment in. The sword has several interlocking curved pieces swirling around it, and this spiral apparatus actually matches really well with the gold and spiral contours of her training outfit that go across her torso and then up over one shoulder. Our interpretation is that the matching spirals are a subtle hint that Diana is the god killer. The sword isn't. They both have these swirls around them, linking them together, making them both sort of, in a sense, the god killer, but Diana being the true one. Uh, and because that is, of course, why the filmmakers put so much emphasis on the sword here, more so than the lasso, the shield, or even the costume later. They show her jumping down, walking up to the sword slowly, we have a moment to remember back to when she looked at the sword as a little girl, and then the music swells and we see her grasp it and then she pulls it out of place. All of this gives this clear weight of importance, and that is because we the audience are still supposed to be thinking that it's legitimately the god killer, uh, what will make it possible to defeat Ares. But not only the training outfit, but also these new powers that we're seeing from Diana, these are all hints that it's actually going to be Diana who is the god killer. There's even a point at which uh, Diana is in the background and it's kind of lined up with the god killer in the foreground, subliminally telling us that she is the god killer. By the way, Gustav Ramirez, one of our listeners from YouTube, thought maybe there's a link between fake swords, one in Wonder Woman and one in BVS. Here, obviously the god killer is fake in the sense that even though it's a great and possibly magical sword, it's not actually able to kill a god, so it's fake in that sense. And then in BVS, we saw Diana and Bruce talking about the fake sword of Alexander. In the first instance, here in Wonder Woman, when Diana is younger, she didn't distinguish that the sword was fake. But in BVS, she's older and wiser, and she knows it's fake right away. So thanks for that, Gustav. All right, so Diana grabs the sword, and then as she is leaving, her eyes catch sight of her costume but it's kind of blurred to the audience. So we can kind of tell what it is and guess what it is, but we are left in the dark about it for now, and it builds some anticipation for the audience because we know a bigger costume reveal will have to be coming later. Also, the fact that the costume ends up being a perfect size for Diana suggests that maybe it was made for her to wear. Uh, it was just waiting for the right time to be given to her. Perhaps she even knows that it was intended for her, and that's why she takes it. This is just speculation, um, because it's also possible that it's old, revered armor from a fallen Amazon, um, but all of this is just kind of fun to think about. 
And we can even keep a keen eye out in the Justice League movie during the history lesson about the Amazons. Maybe we'll get some other hints about this costume. Now, again, referring back to BVS, Diana has a different shield and a different sword in that movie, uh, which of course takes place about 100 years in the future. By the end of Wonder Woman, it becomes clear why she will need a new sword. Um, But as for the shield, it's not necessarily a continuity error that she has different shields in these movies, because we don't actually know what happens over the 100 years. She does work with antiquities, after all, so it's possible that she could get her hands on some really high-quality weapons. And anyway, it can also likely be excused, the change in shields, for the same reason that we excuse Superman's suit having a few unexplained alterations between Man of Steel and BVS. We just have to allow a bit of freedom, like this sort of thing, for the costume designers and the prop masters in the movie. We can't hold them to kind of unrealistic standards when it is a movie-making business. Speaking of the sword and shield from BVS, Nick Begovich reminded us that the tech manual for BVS describes another made-up language commissioned by Zack Snyder. A linguist developed the Kryptonian language for Man of Steel, as many people know, but they also uh, created an Amazon language for BVS, and they used that Amazon language to inscribe a Joseph Campbell quote onto the shield for Wonder Woman. It's from his book Goddesses, Mystery of the Feminine Divine, and the quote reads, Life is killing life all the time, and so the goddess kills herself in the sacrifice of her own animal. To close out scene 14, Diana is looking at the costume, and we cut to a close-up on her face, an ending very similar to scene 13, which also ended on a close-up of her face. But whereas in that scene she was contemplating what she had to do, here she is more resolved and she's already doing that. The music then gives us a subtle hint of the Wonder Woman rhythmic motif, and we are on to scene 15. Thanks so much for listening. It's good to be back digging into these movies. We're going to try to get one more episode done for Wonder Woman before Justice League releases. Because if we can do one more, that will take us all the way through the Themyscira scenes. And as I mentioned before, we are also planning to have one preparatory episode for Justice League, so look for that next week before opening night on Thursday. You can also continue checking out our friends over at the Suicide Squadcast and Man of Steel Answers. And as for us, to close out this episode, we want to share some thoughts from another one of our listeners, Wayne Buck. He had some thoughts about Diana's motivations, which are relevant to this scene and the previous scene, because this is where she's really setting herself into motion down the path as Wonder Woman. Wayne wrote, quote, Diana's motives are more complicated than just wanting to do good and help others. She has wanted to be a warrior from a very early age. She has a romanticized view of war, as her mother knows and tries to disabuse her of. We have to imagine her as desiring and training for battle her entire life to this point, which likely is hundreds of years. But in all those years, she's never had the opportunity to engage in a real battle, until the beach battle just moments before. So now she's gotten a taste, but only a brief taste, of what battle is like. I see her as excited by that battle, emboldened by her own success on the battlefield, although inevitably also a bit sobered by the realities of death and loss. Yet she finally sees an opportunity to be what she has wanted to be her whole life, a true warrior. So she is eager to seize this unexpected opportunity presented by Steve's arrival and news of the war in Man's World. But her mother tells her to do nothing. And in the prior scene in the infirmary, it seemed like she had acquiesced, albeit reluctantly, to her mother's command. 
It is only when Steve relates his father's story of how he himself already tried nothing before accepting that he needed to do something that Diana resolves to defy her mother, do something, and leave the island to realize her destiny. I have to say that iconic sidewise glance of hers at the moment she absorbs the meaning of what Steve has said and resolves to defy her mother is beautifully done. It's a look that we will see many times in the movie whenever Diana determines to do something, including having Steve stay in the room with her that night after they've liberated Veld. End quote. So thanks so much, Wayne. We are continually grateful to have such observant and savvy listeners. In response to your ideas, I agree with your nuances about her almost being a bit too eager to be a warrior and using do good as an excuse to take that step forward a step forward that she wanted to take anyway, but this has now finally given her the chance. We've been laying the groundwork for this interpretation in our analysis of Diana as a younger girl, looking up to the Amazons, but them having real war experience, not just the glory but the pain, and her being naive about it. And I think these points not only play into this tower scene, with her appropriating the objects of war from their glorified holdings, but they will also play into the next scene when she explicitly tries to phrase her actions as being about doing good, which is true, but her mother also sees another truth of her precocious and ambitious daughter stepping out into a dangerous situation without truly grasping all that it entails, kind of like that young girl who jumped out from the path and was only lucky to have her mother nearby to catch her. All right, that does it for us. Thanks again for listening, and long live DC.